0: Welcome to this edition of Rail Group On Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is William C. Antuono, Editor-in-Chief of Railway Age. I have two very special guests with me today. We have Henry Chigi, who is founder of henrychigi.com, a management consulting firm, and Henry is the former chief mechanical and safety officer of both the Illinois Central and the Southern Pacific. Uh, and we also have Gil Lamphere, who is chairman of Midrail LLC, and the original financier of Precision Scheduled Railroading. And uh, the really, the two of them are pretty much the founders or fathers of uh, of uh, precision scheduled railroading, PSR. And uh, what we're gonna tackle today is uh, precision scheduled railroading, its original intent, how it was originally thought of, uh, how safety comes into play, and how PSR has evolved over the years, uh, for better or for worse. So uh, Henry and Gil, welcome. Uh, Henry, let's start with you. Why don't you describe your your background, in 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 railroading and what you do today also.
1: Sounds great, thank you, Bill. Um, I started as my father was a locomotive engineer. My brother ended up being a locomotive engineer. I was a switchman, brakeman, uh, out of high school. While I was going to college, and I just continue to involve in the railroad industry, both in the transportation and mechanical sides. Um, I met Gil when I went to the Illinois Central underneath Ed Moyers in uh, 1989, when the Illinois Central was taken private by the prospect group. And, and then, and so what I, what I'm here to talk about is what did we, what was that all about at the IC in those four years where the baby was born? This thing that later became named precision scheduled railroading, but it, we didn't have a name for it. We just considered it common sense. And, um, but that's what I'd like to talk about today.
0: Gil, you're well known to our, uh, our readers, our, our listeners, but uh, why don't you you uh, describe a bit about your, uh, your background and your uh, relationship uh, to this thing we call PSR.
2: Well, back in the late 80s, our first railroad in which we employed PSR, as Henry noted, it didn't have a name, uh, was called uh, Mid-South. And it was four short lines that we combined, and it became known as the uh, and Speedway and KCS uh, scooped it up uh, 10 years later. But then we tried this uh, under Ed Moore's on a larger railroad, the sixth largest, which was Illinois Central. And I think what's interesting there, uh, Bill, is that uh, we uh, dropped the operating ratio from 93 to, uh, Henry, what was it, 70 or 68 in a year. And we won the Gold Harriman Award as the safest railroad and at the same time, Bill, uh, we uh, lengthened the number of cars, which uh, the industry standard was 40. We lengthened the, uh, the concept to 140 cars, which we could do safely because we used PSR concepts at the origination of that train so that the conductor and the engineer could look outside uh and instead of having to have 40 cars so they knew exactly what cars to pull up at the customer's dock they had 140 but they knew exactly what was in the contest and then I went up to uh, Canadian National and uh with Hunter Harrison and we would put in PSR I think in about nine months uh said they said it couldn't be done of course uh as Henry remembers, they said it couldn't, uh, PSR couldn't be done on the Illinois Central. It couldn't be done on the Southern Pacific, which at the time was the third largest railroad that Henry and Ed Morris took on. And, uh, and then uh, of course Hunter went over to CP, they said it couldn't be done, it was different. And then of course down to CSX, they said it couldn't be done, of course it could be done. And uh, and so this, this evolved and I was on the board of CSX, I was on the board of CN, uh, as chairman of Illinois Central. So I saw this up close uh, in terms of what had to happen and most importantly, who the people were that made it happen and what their backgrounds were and how they had to interrelate with the uh, the workers who actually are the key drivers of value in a railroad. And they have to know what that you know, that they know, that you know exactly the job that they're doing and then it can be done in a slightly different way. In fact, the way they were trained to do it. And so they have tremendous pride. And so when we arrived using PSR, people say, oh, you'll never get the unions to uh, agree to these uh, types of changes. The uh, union workers have pride and, and they wanted to be number one. And when they saw that they could be number one and they believed in the leader because he had mud on his boots. The operating people who led these companies had mud on their boots. And uh, they could relate and motivate uh, you know, thousands and thousands of workers. And that's what led to the transformation uh, at, uh, at these railroads.
0: There are several precepts or concepts or tenets of, uh, of PSR, and they all have one word in common, <laughs> the word right.
2: PSR is about uh, having the right person in the right place at the right time. So you establish a continuous balanced flow uh, of trains. Uh, you touch them as, uh, as uh, less often as you possibly can. And the, we used to call it precision railroad and I inserted the S uh, because uh, the real purpose of PSR is to schedule the railroad. RR stands for railroad, it stands for uh, reliable reliability. And that sounds like two of the same words, but it's not. If you're gonna rely on the railroads, you got they gotta be reliable. Uh, and so uh, scheduling the railroad was number one. And then when the right person is in the right place in the right time, nobody is in each other's way. You have this continuous flow. Expenses are gonna come down. Asset utilization is gonna come up. But when you have the right person in the right place at the right time, you are the safest railroad because Everybody's doing the job. No one is standing around. And safety is a, it works hand in hand uh, with PSR, but it's really not hand in hand. It's, it's a bear hug between safety and, and the workers and PSR. It's a bear hug uh, and in explaining it to workers. If you came up through railroading, you know how dangerous this uh, outside, uh, outdoor sport is. Uh, And uh, safety is number one, and that's really how you explained OR to them, uh, which is to do things safely. And Henry will get into the culture of safety because PSR is a necessary but not sufficient condition to safety. What is necessary and sufficient is that you have leadership at the CEO level and at the C-suite level of someone who is obsessed with safety. And if you can get that culture into an organization that they believe it because you grew up in it, you know how dangerous it is, then you've succeeded. To me, success of PSR is on safety. Yeah, you can run the the, uh, railroads uh, less expensively. You can get asset utilization up. You've got to schedule the railroad to get uh, reliable reliability. But it's safety and culture that really determines the success of the railroad.
0: Henry, your uh, your thoughts on, on safety?
1: Safety is the foundation that you build, frankly, any operational business out of, and especially railroads, because the consequences of not making the appropriate decision at the appropriate time can change a lot of things for folks. It begins, like Gil said, the right person in the right place at the right time. I would add to that with a person with the right training, the right motivation, the right tools, and the right leadership. Where where PSR, what we did at the Illinois Central, worked, as Gil alluded to, because of the leadership that was present. You had Ed Moyers, who fired every vice president in the Illinois Central in his first week on the job, and except one. our our senior and chief uh, commercial officer, uh, who was wonderful. And then he replaced them with every person that went into the slots, and there were fewer of them, but everyone that went into the slots were people that had come up in the railroad business. They had been frustrated by when finally the Staggers Act was passed it was like slow for some of the railroads to adopt their, this idea. They really have the freedom to do business. They can be a business again. They're not a highly regulated government entity that don't get to set their prices, don't get to decide what their service commitments are gonna be, all that kind of stuff. And so it was taking all of that shift that had gone on in the world through that law. And how do we bring that to where the people, the workers see what's in it for them how do the customers see what's in it for them? And how do and how do the shareholders, the stakeholders, see what's in it for them as well and execute on that plan? It works when you got leaders who are creating new leaders and providing the inspiration to people to um, become the best they possibly can be and give a fair day's work. When they show up at eight o'clock in the morning, they're prepared to go to work. They work, they give you the fuel time, they're there. They apply themselves to their business and only to the business. And and that's what Mr. Moyer said, that, Yeah, and he's always Mr. Moyers to me, okay? You'll hear that come out. He was never Ed to me. Uh, and I worked with him for a couple of decades. He treated everybody with respect. The man was tough. He was focused. He was decisive. And he treated everybody with respect and he expected, he expected respect in return, but he earned it. And uh, just a little story about that is like little stuff that makes such a difference. When you walk in, when he call you to come into his office, you better put your suit coat on because he expects you to come in prepared as a professional to have a professional conversation. And he expect you to listen to what he said. So, And then, and then it, for the rest of us, like me and Dave Kelly and Hunter Harrison, our job on the operational side was to go out and create those expectations with all of our people, with our leaders, with the workers, with all of them, about how they too could become the professionals they've been trained to be and be respected for that. It really did work. There was a lot of details, right? There's strategies and tactics. None of it could have happened without leadership. And it never did happen any other place I've been, you know, whether I was at SP or president of Railtex or building a railroad in Brazil or all the other things I've done in life. It, I found the key component to all of it is leadership.
0: Talking about Ed Moyers, uh, he was, or Mr. Moyers, as you say, he was uh railway age's 1995 railroader of the year uh, from the Southern Pacific. Warning him that must have had something to do with what he accomplished there.
1: It's about scientific management of asset utilization, people utilization, people development, applying technology, everything from tangent track rail lubrication to improve fuel efficiency. The whole gamut of applying science and math and logic, industrial engineering, if you will, mm-hmm. the railroad. You, you know, Bill, it, just to put things in context uh,
2: for uh, uh, the Illinois Central and for Southern Pacific, uh, you know, Southern Pacific was the third largest railroad. And for a long time, when the Union Pacific uh, was going to acquire them, you know, the, the idea was to call it the Southern Pacific. But uh, Union Pacific decided we'll keep the name, even though it was a much larger railroad. Uh, but when Henry got there with Ed Moyers, Mr. Moyers, uh, the company was losing $150 million a year. And two years later, it was making $250 million a year and it was sold to Union Pacific for $4 billion. That's PSR, and that's leadership. How do you uh, change a culture and and that number of people to accomplish something so dramatic as that in such a short period of time? And at the uh, Illinois Central, you you had uh, the worst-run railroad in the United States. And how do you make it the most efficient railroad and win a safety award in one year? Uh, that's leadership. And I'll tell you a funny story about that, which is first board meeting I was at and I was uh, a a chairman. And of course, uh, Bill, I didn't know what I was doing. I was 37, 38 years old. And I was sitting in the chair uh, that Mr. Harriman used to sit in at the end of the table and Ed Morris, Mr. Morris comes in and the board's there. And Mr. Morris uh, says, uh, oh, I want to talk about safety first. Now, I'm sitting there and we have a mountain of debt to pay off. Uh, we have a strategy to implement. Uh, we've got to rip up half the track and create long sidings. We're gonna to go to 140 cars. Uh, Henry's gotta bring the uh, reliability of those uh, mechanical, those locomotives in, in place, because we we're gonna match uh, you know, the weight of the, what we're doing now, weight, the weight of the consist to the locomotive power, but you, you, you needed to cut down the locomotives. Uh, that they were using. They were using three because one would break down and uh, we needed to cut that back and and make it reliable. So Mr. Morris starts off the meeting talking about safety at length. And I am beginning to squirm in my seat because I've got other objectives. I'm thinking about finance. I'm thinking about uh, uh, explaining this. But you know what? If you have a safe railroad, you have the best performing railroad. And that's when I learned that the right person, the right place, the right time, safety is the tip off to the PSR implementation. It's not only the safest place, it's, it's working the way it should be. And so every meeting starts with safety and everybody ought to look at safety as a clue to how well the organization is performing and how well the leadership is performing.
0: Gil, you know, one thing I wanted to uh, ask you, and we've talked about this uh, uh, briefly, you know, the word precision might be misunderstood. And I think it might be confused with accuracy, but there is a, there is a, a difference in meaning or intent between precision and accuracy.
1: For me, precision is, is the repeatability side of it. Precision is that I can count on it happening again and again in a certain way that's precise. That's precise operations. When I look at accuracy, accuracy occurs to me like an engineer. How many significant digits of accuracy do I have in the the answer, in the result? When precision scheduled railroading is in fact precision, it's not accuracy scheduled railroading. It is we have a repeatable schedule we accomplish. It may be off by five minutes, it may be off by 10 minutes, but We recognize that as being a service failure and we go to root cause and action plan and by when, and you start to move through what is there to learn out of that particular struggle that we had that morning or that afternoon or that night. And it's, it's this sense of, we're never quite there. We're never quite precise, but we have precision. We're never quite accurate, but we're really moving in on it all the time. Precision means
2: that you set a hard single digit standard. Accuracy is how you're doing against that standard. So, precision is we ought to be able to meet this point. Accuracy is how are we doing around that point. Precision scheduled railroading is both for customer and for internal. You, you establish your points of reference. The original handwritten in ink business plan for precision scheduled railroad. Mr. Morris gave me 25 pages, handwritten in ink was his business plan. But inside that are the same tenants of precision on the main expense components and the same delivery components of manpower, fuel, material, rents, depreciation and those were points you wanted to perform against those points and those points are still defined hunter's book i I don't know on page 77 or something i was reading hunter's book i said hunter how how can you talk about the secret ideas we have for precision scheduled railroading by outlining all these expense points and he said now what's good for this was up at the cn what's good for the cn is good for railroading in general and he had the same attitude about open access uh, and belt packs, which we gave away, were developed by Paul Mongeau, Gil, uh, what, what's good for the, the CN is good for the industry and vice versa. We're all in this together. So we had a very collaborative approach. The key when we started precision schedule railroading was the ability to arrive on time, which the railroads never did. They were two days early, they were three days late. And with that service offering, you could get price increases and volume increases and with that increased profitability, you had capital to grow, to reinvest in the business and grow. And the more you grew, the lower your unit costs were, and the more you could grow. And so you had a market share advantage. That was the original idea.
0: You know, there's one person uh, missing from this uh, discussion who, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, we, we were only able to... Uh, bring him into this conversation uh, if uh, and if you believe in this stuff through a medium or something and that and that would be and that would be hunter harrison but uh i'm going to ask uh, both of you you know if hunter were here uh talking amongst us us three and it, it was a it was a, a cabal of four if you want to call it that what what would he be saying right now what would he be thinking? And uh, you know, uh, you 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 two knew Hunter. I mean, I knew Hunter quite well, and you you folks knew him a whole lot better. And you uh, you you worked with him, and uh, you know, he's uh, he's become a um, almost a mythical figure. <laughs> but what what do you think he'd be saying, or what what would he be adding to this conversation?
2: Well, I think Hunter was a a leader from the front. Hunter would go out. And to transform an organization of, you know, CN, for example, you know, you had 15,000 people in the field and you had 20,000 total. But to motivate those people, you had to go out and talk to them directly and establish your credibility that you knew the job they were doing. And what you were asking them to do was nothing more than the job, one that they were trained for and two, it was not harder. It was just different. And by motivating, by example and leadership and talking their language and doing that 20 times or 30 times when you're transforming the organization, but he was out in front with those workers. There was a, uh, a large class one railroad, uh, I, I can mention it at UP and, uh, once a week, a couple of years ago, once a week, they'd have the operating heads and the other heads uh, come together on a phone call. And they, they couldn't figure out to talk about their mutual problems and issues and opportunities. And they were searching for a code name uh, that would define the call. And there was a woman who was on the team. And she said, you know, I think, and, and you know, the guys were talking about Ulysses and Napoleon. And, and she came up, she said, you know what? We ought to call this is uh, WWHHD. And everybody's scratching their heads and they're going, what do you mean WWHHD? Uh, and she said, what would Hunter Harrison do? On this topic that we're talking about, what would Her- Hunter Harrison do? What he would do is motivate the top of the organization. He would lead from the top, which is actually an inverted pyramid. He could... uh uh, instill in them a focus and communicate simply because with that number of people, you had to have a simple message. His simple message was OR because they understood it as time grew on. I, I went in to see Hunter and I said, uh, Hunter, uh, this dog don't hunt no more. And he said, what do you mean? that? What do you mean this dog don't hunt no more? And I said, Oh, uh, o- OR don't hunt no more. We got to figure out how to, how to grow. He said, why? And I showed him a little math and he said, oh, I I understand it now. And we later showed it to the board of CN. But we then began trying to figure out how do you transition from PSR1 to PSR2 and how difficult that was. Once you had established those margins, what did you have to do? He was also, I'd say this, he added, uh, Bill, was continuous improvement. Notice he was never satisfied when the OR got to 62 or 61, or 60, he knew there was continuous improvement. And when he stepped down from the CM, and Claude Mongeau, brilliant, and was a financial guy, but he was so brilliant that he had absorbed everything at PSR. Claude, by 2015, had gotten the operating ratio down in the third quarter of 2015 to 53.8. Uh, I think that translated into 55 when you did the currency adjustments in one time. but. Claude understood and Under understood continuous improvement. You could not let up. You could not let up on safety. You could not let up on culture. You, you people can't get complacent. It was always a better way of doing things. And what he instilled in people, and, and we tried to instill from the top, was that the silos had to be turned sideways. The silos, which were done because this is a complex engineering driven company but you had to turn the silos sideways so that people would share ideas across functions and you had to turn the silos upside down so that ideas would flow up and flow down. And that's what he encouraged. It wasn't that he had one way, it was that he instilled an entrepreneurial spirit in people to share ideas. And as Henry will tell you, it's a culture that if the idea didn't work, you'd ask the guy what the next idea he has. there's there's no punishment and therefore the guy next to him would say hey he had an idea he wasn't punished i have an idea too and in continuous improvement what hunter would say is that when you get to a railroad you probably see 60 percent of what can be done but the next 40 percent is after you're in there and people begin creating ideas and that's leadership to me that's what hunter what would hunter harrison do um i think that's what he'd tell you And that's what he did.
0: Henry, your thoughts on Hunter?
1: I agree. It is all, you know, Hunter was about leadership. He provided leadership to his organization. He attracted people. I mean, some of his, some of the books I've read when he was up at CN and CP, the one I think it's called Switch Points, does a great job of going through and really spelling out in detail a great way to create a culture. He was about that. I don't think there was anything he liked better than being on the railroad and being out there and having cameras looking at everything moving and call the yardmaster up about why that train's sitting on the main line now for an hour and a half. What's that all about? You know, it's like he was intimately involved with his railroad. And I think that's what leaders show how they expect their leaders to behave as well. You do it through example. When Hunter was more of a peer at the IC, it was like, We were team players, we played together. We were out on the ground together. It was like Kelly and Dave Kelly and Hunter and me, we would be together out on the railroad. And it wasn't about somebody's, this is my responsibility, that's your responsibility. It was about how do we make this better? What's the next step here? What's the next thing? Uh, And we, we were very creative in a lot of stuff from everything from starting to measure Carmen, productivity by the number of, of hours that they created through the AAR billing system, even if it was on system cars, because if they repaired our cars, then the other railroad didn't get a chance to do those repairs and bill us the big AAR rate. And we made a huge shift in money out of stuff like that. Just little things to get the people aligned with what we were trying to accomplish in terms of paying down debt and producing a return on investment and all of those stuff. Hunter was all that. He was brilliant in his ability to see the railroad in his head, like he held it in his head. I have some gifts that are different than that, but it's like he had that, that was one of his gifts. You know,
2: Henry brings up a, a, a good, you know, it reminds me, uh, Bill, and it's very important of the five tenets of precision scheduled railroading, of scheduling the rail, expenses got reduced, assets, safety. The fifth is culture. And Henry is an expert in culture. You can have all the ideas you want in the first four, but unless you have leadership to change culture, it doesn't work. And if you have a very large organization, which is what Henry and Hunter and others had responsibility for, you you had to go out and change culture and reinforce it Henry will tell you a story about putting in the safety because he is Mr. Safety in the industry. <laughs> uh, you know, you, know you, you had to have procedures that, and have culture that if uh, an individual saw something going on in the operations of the a, of a, of a railroad, on the yard or main line that he thought was unsafe, he had the authority to stop it. He had this authority to stop what he thought was a dangerous thing happening or something that could lead to a dangerous thing. And you know what? If he was wrong, if it was actually going to be okay, so what? So what? You had to have that type of mentality. And that only, that only comes because they believe that it's okay to stop something. Because if you're looking out for the other guy, he's looking out for you.
0: So Gil and Henry, this is, this is the genesis of, uh, of PSR, what, uh, what we've talked about now. So let's get into what it what it has what it is today. And there's a lot of noise out there, as you know, uh, and it's coming from all sides. You have uh, 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 the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee uh, uh, screaming about it, and they're yelling about long trains and and bad service and uh, poor safety culture. Of course, a lot of this is rhetoric. You know, you have some of the you have some of the union leadership saying the same things. National Transportation Safety Board, you've got the STB on the railroad's backs. It seems to me as though the maybe PSR has kind of lost its way a bit. Is precision schedule railroading in need of repair or overhaul? What do we do here? I just report the news. You make it.
2: PSR can be uh, run to extremes. Uh, it's a little bit like capitalism. You You can push PSR particularly in this capital market, when every dollar that you save or dollar that you can get on a price increase drops to the bottom line, that has a 20 times multiple on it in today's market. So you save a nickel and it turns into a dollar. And therefore there's an obsession with how do we save a nickel? You get into trouble fast if you're saving nickels and forgetting about the network and the continuous flow. You know, Rob Riley up at CN had a, a brilliantly put Uh, which was you can't run the railroad or locomotives to failure. You can save money doing that, but you can't create a continuous flow that serves the customers. And so there has to be some discipline about the network. It's not about long trains. We had 140 cars. Uh, You can go 200 cars with today's technology uh, and, and know what they are. It's not about long trains. Uh, Safety is an issue, but we talked about that and what it takes in terms of leadership and real emphasis on that. Uh, The service issue is a serious one because the service levels haven't improved. Now, we may have had troubles bringing the number of workers back. We may have gotten a little soft in terms of seeing how we could run the railroad without the workers because of COVID. But you have to go back to some norms about expenses and reset after COVID to ensure you have reliable service. Reliability is, is critical if you're going to gain business. I think you're, you're right, Bill. I think there's right to be criticism. The leaders of these railroads uh, have to understand that they can spend money to ensure reliable service and serve more customers. And we've gotta figure out how to serve more customers, not less customers with PSR, because what you've created as a subway system and if you're not near the subway stop, you can't hail the taxi anymore. You know, a uh, taxi's going very fast. And maybe you have to establish a local train. You have to have an express train. You've gotta be willing to put some capital to work at an acceptable ROI to build that service level, which was the original thought of PSR. And the problem is the capital is so valued by the shareholders that they want the capital in their hands. And you got to re- understand you're a long-term oligopoly. You've been given a land grant. You're there to serve the customers. You're there to make money so that you can serve all the customers. But you're probably going to have to figure out some strategic initiatives around capital that help the customers on the line adapt the PSR help the, uh, the railroad short lines as well as the customers. And you have to go in with a, a checkbook a little bit to help those people if they need 5 million, 10 million, 15 million on some basis to take advantage of PSR as opposed to PSR leaving them without recourse. Henry,
0: your your thoughts on this, you know, uh, and a couple of other other points, you know, with the criticisms of, uh, of PSR today. Well, it's all about cost cutting. It's all about Labor reduction—it's all about the operating ratio. It's—it's all about the shareholders. It's all about Wall Street. I think Gil—Gil just gave uh, a a very good uh, explanation of what's going on now. Please weigh in on this.
1: My sense is—is—and—and I want to just start this with—I don't have personal knowledge of what's on the railroads today, you know exactly. So I'm extrapolating from things I read and I'm told and things like that, but. But my sense is, is that this pressure to get a greater return on invested capital, it's got to somehow get balanced with how do I grow the business and how do I stay relevant as a railroad? In the changing technology, and the changing times we're in today, the railroads have the great advantage of being very, very fuel efficient compared to other modes other than water, right? And we have this ability to connect lots of people in lots of ways. We have the ability to operate predictably. So we can say, I'm going to, if you have your car ready by this time, I will deliver it to that place by this time. But then we have a responsibility to do what we say we'll do, to actually execute on that. And, And when I was coming up in the railroads, I saw them making all kinds of decisions about Well, I got to run the biggest, heaviest train. That's how I'm going to save cost. Everything was about saving cost as opposed to how do I create this customer facing environment where the customer wants to give me more of their business. They can trust me that I will do what I said I'll do. And then that goes down into the employee ranks too. Can the employees trust their leadership that what the leader says, I can believe, I can trust them. I think if there's an opportunity in all of this, it's an opportunity to get trust between the railroad leadership, their employees, their customers, regulators, the investors, all of that. At the end of the day, for me, that falls under the hitting of character somewhere. Do you do what you say you'll do?
0: We've talked a bit about return on investment, about the shareholders and about, uh, about PSR and how this term, this three-letter acronym uh, has, well, for some it's become a, uh, you know, it's a wonderful three-letter word. For others, it's turned into a four-letter word within the context of school of thought that, uh, and there's, there's, uh, there's a term that was coined by uh, uh, the analyst, independent analyst, Tony Hatch, the cult of OR, cult of operating ratio you've said the focus on, you know, the focus is too much on, on short-term gains for shareholders and not about serving the customer. The only railroad really that has not openly embraced or publicly embraced PSR is, is BNSF. Uh, and that's because they're, uh, they're not a public company in the sense that they're part of Berkshire Hathaway. Gil, why don't you shed some light on that?
2: Under Katie Farmer and before, uh, their service metrics at BN uh, were uh, showing a great improvement in terms of train speeds, dwell time, and cars online. I'm sure that their arrival times uh, are uh, very good. But what's important is that you're delivering, you don't have to have the lowest OR to deliver the best total return to the shareholders. What you want is growth in earnings. Uh, You want to be able to pay a dividend. You want to generate excess cash that you can either deploy internally or pay out to the shareholder. And you don't have to have the lowest OR in terms of a shareholder return that could be, say, 13 percent, because you have to remember that a railroad that does very little and each year simply raises price three and a half to four percent macroeconomic growth for your commodities is two so you have five, six percent. You have a margin on that revenues. You have expenses. If you keep them under control at three, uh, you're going to have uh, earnings per share growth or or, or growth of ten to eleven percent. Uh, with a dividend, you're going to have total shareholder return of you know twelve and a half. Or th- and with excess cash, you might be a total return of, of 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 close to thirteen and a half or fourteen. And so it depends on the base. Now, you could say, well, BN uh, could do better, but you have to be careful. If you have a locomotive that's going down the track at 50 miles an hour and your objectives are long-term, you don't have to increase the speed to 60 miles an hour. Uh, You have to answer to your shareholder about what's my long-term objective here. What is critical to all railroads now as a group is the scrutiny about, serving customers, your existing customers on time and new customers that aren't taking full advantage of what your offering is. Those could be industrial customers that are shipping on a short line. It could be a short line itself. You have to think about capital that goes beyond just the track system that you're operating on. One thing though you have to be careful about is uh, people say, well, they're implementing certain parts of PSR. You either implement all of PSR or none of PSR. You, you can't just say, I'm going to reduce people or I'm going to do this or that. It all has to fit together or else you don't have a continuous flow. It's like the uh, Norfolk Southern. I'm not sure Norfolk Southern ever said, I'm adopting PSR because they already had a low cost structure. And that's what, why they said they were going to a white paper because it wasn't about costs. It was about pricing. And then when CSX caught them, Uh, They said, we got to reduce costs too, but we have a system that sort of works for us. Maybe we're not charging enough for it. And so you, you look at these competitive aspects of revenue per revenue ton mile and revenue per gross ton mile and cost per revenue ton mile and cost per gross ton mile, and you compare it to your competitors and you see what the strategic impact is. UP and CN, who's got the lower this? Who's got the higher this? But at the end of the day, it's growing, it's total shareholder return. Maybe it's not a short-term game. Maybe PSR should be a longer-term game of compounding, which is what uh, Mr. Buffett would talk to you about is, can I consistently compound the value of the profits of this asset base?
0: You know, Hunter said this, uh, uh, we quoted him in Railway Age a long time ago, probably about 25 years ago. He said, you know uh I, and and you you do a better uh a better job of uh um emulating his voice <laughs> but um uh, you know he says well bill you know i don't don't give a damn what uh you know what the operating ratio is you don't have to have a really low operating ratio what's more important is growing that top line and serving the customers and running safe railroad and it, it was a long time ago but uh that's what he said. And 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 here you go. You're, you know, you're both repeating this.
1: It's true. Yeah. It is absolutely true in my judgment.
2: I'll tell you the, the meeting I had with Hunter when I went in and said this dog don't hunt no more. Uh, I explained to him that the operating ratio or one minus the operating ratio, which is your margin, uh, times revenues to assets gives you your return on invested capital. And if you look at what CN is doing, they're trying to pivot from OR to revenues. Uh, divided by assets to improve the return on invested capital. That is a very tricky transition where you have to have your operating ratio locked in uh, before you try to pivot. And then you have the greatest number of strategic alternatives. The meeting with Hunter, I I had to sit down with him and, and take him through the math. The fact that it was your uh, operating profits to Uh, revenues, which is your margin, times revenues to assets gives you your return on assets, which is really your return on investing capital. And then you look at your leverage ratio multiplied by assets divided by equity. That gives you your return on equity times your tax rate times your payout ratio gives you your growth of PE. And we laid that out for him. And he said, now I understand it all. We laid that out for the board of CN so we could see not only where we were, but where the other railroads were getting their total shareholder return. What were they doing differently? What were they doing better than we were? Now, you have to take that down to a micro level, but it was it was the education of Hunter that you could affect your P-E ratio if you were growing, but you had to grow profitably. You had to grow with margins. And about two, three years ago, Wall Street fell in love with growth. Then they figured out that growth without the margin isn't worth much. And so you have to go back to your key OR and then figure out what of the strategies that I have that may be incremental, but maybe I have four or five of them, give me that, keep that OR in check and give me the ability to continuously improve it. And that gives me the ability to open up different strategic alternatives. And that's where Hunter was. Now, Hunter said, okay, he said, now, nah, all right. He said, Let, let's go back and look at intermodal. What's the OR of intermodal? So I went to Michael Sabia, who the chief financial officer, and I went to Claude, and uh, I said, uh, Can you calculate the OR? People say it can't be done. You can't calculate an OR on intermodal. But I think it can be done. They said, oh, yeah, it can be done. It's just people don't want to do it. And they came back and they said, you're not going to like the answer, Gil. Return on invested capital, when we make all these assumptions and allocate things, it's not so good. I said, well, maybe it's the wrong measure. What about return on invested capital for intermodal? And they came back and said, that's that's even worse. Now, that was 25 years ago. Now we have different costs of capital. We have different uh, technology and logistics ability. We have the ability to transport things, the number of cars, the number of merchandise cars versus the uh, intermodal cars about a ratio and profitability of about 1.5 to 1 in Canada. About three or four cars are needed for one profits of merchandise in the US. Uh, but we, we have, we're getting to the logistics, but technology is necessary but not sufficient to solve the problem of profitable growth and total shareholder return and hence lowering your cost of capital. Everybody has to have technology, but it's not gonna lead you to profitability while you do it. And Wall Street understands that and they're the owners and they'll punish you if you say, well, we're gonna just grow and let the OR go because the OR, you let it go a couple of points and your return on invested capital plummets. So you gotta be very careful about that OR. Because when you add revenues, remember, they have a margin attached and they're using up capacity on the line. So you got to be very careful about what you add to that fixed asset base. At some point, you're going to think about is that fixed asset base does it have to be augmented.
0: Gil, I think you've probably uh, laid out here, you know, what 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 the railroads uh, need to focus on um, going forward. Henry, I'd like your thoughts on this. You know, yeah, the uh, the focus is on OR, but there is there is a reason behind it. But maybe the approach to getting that OR and keeping that low OR is uh, is a little different than um, than how it's been being done.
1: I'll go back to some. I guess I said a little bit before, but it's like I really believe that it's the the you take the principles, and and just like Gills pointed out, there's those five places that we focus on the cost side of the equation, but there's also that other side where we do what we say we'll do for our customers. And we do that in a way that the customers count on us. I think that is a function of the vision of the leader. I think that's a function of the, how well that, that vision is communicated down into the organization where the other leaders get it. They understand that's the priority of what we're doing, that we do what we say for our customers. And we do it in a way that's smart. We always are improving. We're in constant improvement. We're looking for new processes, procedures. But until we find those, we're going to do the ones we got right now really, really well. And that the people at all levels of the company trust the company. And I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's people inside the big class ones now that are paying attention to that. They understand the importance of that. Hopefully they have some metrics. I I work with other companies that are non-railroads. They have weekly measurements where they're measuring the trust the employees have for their company, you know, how they're perceiving their leadership, all that stuff. And it's part of the accountability of that leader as important as producing the financial results is how am I doing with team retention? How am I doing with how my people perceive their job and their importance in their job? I'm not aware of any of that happening in the class ones. It doesn't mean it isn't though, Uh, but it's important. It's important to create that culture, to develop the character of your leaders, develop the character of your workforce. Frankly, at the IC, that was one of the magical things we had happen. We had a group of employees that trusted us because we were trustworthy. And that was very, very important to each of us. And it was very important to the leader, our leader, Edward Morris.
2: Be careful when you have your operating ratio in shape in the high fifties or wherever, and be careful about uh, promising too much to customers because it's easy to do when things are going well, but they begin to mess up your continuous flow. So you've got to be careful and have a strategic plan for not saying yes to every important customer who's smaller. And you say, oh, yes, we can do that. And you begin to deviate from your plan. Uh, One thing Hunter and Henry and Moyers uh, taught me was, you know, you don't deviate from the plan. You figure out another way to satisfy that customer. But you just don't add him to the list and say, well, it won't make too much difference. Because you do that 20 times and you, you got a problem on, on the continuous flow of your railroad and what you've created. It really takes a tremendous discipline and strategic thinking to once you lock in that OR or you pivot to shoot, shoot for higher revenues or swing for higher revenues. But you better have that OR locked in.
0: I'd like some uh, closing thoughts from, from both of you. So let me set the stage here. Hypothetical situation you both are are in are in the same room this big meeting room and in this room your audiences all the class ones you have you have all the CEOs you have all the board chairman board members all the c-suite executives all the labor leaders the general chairman key customers some shippers what would you say to them
1: what I would say to them is we're at a, a turning point in history for the railroads right now And we really are all in it together. We provide a service that not only is on us, on our railroads, but it connects with other railroads and goes to other places. And whether you're labor, a CEO, a car foreman, it doesn't matter. We're all in this together. And in order for railroads to remain relevant, we need to find a way to bring this team of people who are extremely competent people. But we're all pulling in the harness in the same direction to really, really serving the customers effectively, serving the public perceives us as a good company to be running through their neighborhoods and where the employees know that they can trust their leadership and they can trust each other. I challenge all of us to find a way to make that work.
0: Well, Gil, your thoughts, but I'd like to add to the audience uh, the uh representatives of our class two and class three and switching and terminal railroads, because they're all a part of this, uh, this family, this industry that we that we call railroading. So Gil, what would you say to this massive audience of, uh, of, of all, all the top railroaders, uh, in the country at all levels?
2: Well, I think the most important thing, uh, oh, and, <laughs> uh, Bill, you should, should know that, uh, when the CEOs of all uh, the railroads, uh, Get together. Uh, they each have two lawyers uh, because uh, you don't let the CEOs ever get together as of antitrust concerns. So that <coughs> the room gets a little bit bigger uh, when you have. Well, no
0: offense to any attorneys back. out My there, but let's say uh, attorneys not allowed. Okay, ground <laughs> rules: no attorneys. Just stay. You know, you you can you can be hobnobbing out 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 in the lobby, but you're not allowed in the room. Okay. <laughs> Well, that would
2: probably work well also for when you go to talk to the STB. Go in there by yourself and be honest and talk to the commissioners. Uh, But uh, what I would say to them, bottom line is uh, you gotta be prepared to spend capital that currently is free cash flow. You've gotta keep doing what you are doing on the OR, but I'm charging everybody, uh, the strategic planning people, the network people, the operating people, Come up with the four or five strategies that are going to help the railroad grow and serve more customers. Now, you got to spend more capital. Maybe you, you start a team. Uh, cuts across all lines, have operating people, network people, marketing people, and you go talk to your uh, major customers about what do they need, the short lines. What do you need in capital? Because oftentimes for 5 or $10 million, they can do marvelous things in terms of, Uh, working with their customers, their industrial customers. Oftentimes it's it's, uh, coming up with a plan for the industrial customers where they're short because they're small in the capital budget of these large corporations. But you begin to spend relatively small amounts of money that on on the margin have high rates of return and fit with the system. You figure out four or five strategies that say, okay, either small amounts of money, capital, or maybe large amounts of money. Maybe I should establish a, a, a some sightings and uh, some uh, new uh, track structures that allow me to accommodate reliable service for two types of customers. One is very time sensitive and the other is less time sensitive, but still reliable. You have to have reliable reliability. That sounds uh, du- uh, that you're duplicating the words, but no, if you're gonna rely on the railroads, there has to be reliability dependability. You've got to spend money. You've got to figure out, can I spend strategic money to grow this railroad? Not just beyond OR, but uh, what are my strategies though? And, And they're maybe at the margin, but they do not get in the way of my continuous balanced flow that comes from PSR.
0: Well, Gil and uh, Henry, I thank you so much uh, for joining us. I think you have a very uh, very strong message here that's uh, multiple messages actually that are based on uh, experience, uh, you know, operating experience, practical experience, financial experience, what have you. And let's hope that the people uh, who make things happen in this industry uh, are, are, are listening because I think they can get a lot out of this discussion. I thank you both for joining us. As I like to close all of these uh, Rail Group On Air podcasts, have a safe day.